0: Because aging starts now. Hi, everyone.
1: Welcome to another episode of Aging Starts Now. I'm Barbara McGinnis, Partner and Certified Elder Law Attorney at Takus McGinnis Elder Care Law. When you move to a senior living community, do you check your rights for self-determination at the door? What are the rights of assisted living and nursing home residents? Joining us for this discussion is elder care coordinator and former long-term care ombudsman, Patty Bedwell with Take McGannis Elder Care Law. Welcome Patty. Hey Barbara. So how about it? When an elder moves into um, a community, do they still have rights?
2: Actually they do. They have the same rights that they had before they moved into the community.
1: And that, and, and that community, that could be any kind of senior living community, independent living, assisted living, memory care, or a nursing home, right?
2: Yep, that's correct.
1: So uh, residents in assisted living, their rights don't differ from somebody in independent living, do they?
2: No, no, not at all. Uh, really, everyone has the same rights, um, no matter what your settings are sometimes how you exercise those rights are different because of the setting that you may be in.
1: What's an example of that? Maybe the, maybe the right to vote. Can you think of a way that that's exercised differently?
2: Right. Uh, because residents are not able to go to the voting booth, for the most part, there has to be considerations made so that they can exercise the right to vote, uh, meaning the facility is going to have to take um, pains to be sure that every resident is, that wants to is registered, that they receive a, a ballot, and that the ballot is completed and then sent in in the time frame. So they have the right to vote, but how they do it is different because it is dependent on, uh, on help from the facility to get those things done.
1: Great. So let's talk about memory care residents memory care residents have the same rights as anyone else. They're not any different because they have a diagnosis of dementia or some type of impairment. That can lead to difficulty sometimes with, uh, with their care needs, can't it?
2: Sure. Um, because they do have the same rights as everyone else does, uh, sometimes uh, maybe they refuse to do some of the things that need to be done. Maybe it's uh, um, eating their meals, maybe it's uh, taking their medications, uh, allowing a treatment to be done, uh, things like that. And so they do also, one of the rights that they have is the right to refuse treatments and things of that nature. Um, so the facilities really have to kind of walk a fine line to encourage a resident in a memory care facility to take their medications, for instance, you know, maybe they need to uh, walk away from that resident and then come back at another time and try again.
1: Exactly. Sometimes it's, it's, it sounds like we're just using their memory impairment to our advantage. We walk away, come back, say, and sometimes it's how we present it, right? That it's not. Will you take your or do you want to take your medicines? It might be. Will you take your medicine? You might get a different response. Or, um, mm-hmm.
2: you yeah, know, that's a great example. Showering. That's another one. You know, um, it's time. Uh, let's go take your shower instead of. Do you want to shower? You know, things like that. A little exactly. more absolute. Um,
1: or it's it's time to take your shower, let's go get a shower, Um, and and not do the the yes-no kinds of questions necessarily. Of course, they still have the right to refuse. You still come back to them later if they refuse and try to re-offer. All right, so what about residents that smoke cigarettes or drink alcohol? Is that permitted in senior communities?
2: Uh, yes. Well, um, smoking, it did not, it did not. Um, not all communities allow smoking anymore. Okay. All right. So if you are a smoker and you're looking for a senior community or for someone that is a smoker, that's one of the first things you need to ask if they have, if they allow smoking. So you may have the right to smoke,
1: you just may not be able to have the right to smoke in that facility because it's a non-smoking facility.
2: Right. Just like, you know, smokers no longer have the right to smoke in restaurants, for instance. Um, So it's the same thing there. And, you know, pretty much the same with alcohol, except they do need to have a doctor's order. Okay. Um, And also the alcohol and the smoking materials aren't kept with the resident, you know, the staff, um, maintains those and doles those out.
1: Oh, okay. I can still, I can see where that's a good idea.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, kind of protects the resident and and it protects the product as well, I suppose from misuse. We did a a podcast. uh, It seemed like a few days ago where we were talking about romantic relationships and, how that's handled, especially if the family's not completely on board with
2: it. Um, yeah, that's a, um, that's a little tricky subject, you know, sometimes. But residents, ultimately, residents do have the right to engage in a romantic relationship, even if their families don't like it.
1: As long um, as they're it, consensual, right? There's that's capacity, what I was
0: mm-hmm.
1: capacity, yep. capacity to consent and that it is consensual.
2: Right. That's a really, really touchy uh, situation, you know, having a, a romantic relationship. Um, the best I can say for any family member who's dealing with that with their loved one is to work closely with the staff and find out, um, find out more about the situation before you jump with both feet.
1: Mm hmm. Um... Or do, do we have any other misconceptions as just as lay people in the community? Do we have other misconceptions about rights of residents um, and when they move into a senior community?
2: Um, to me, the most misunderstood right that, res- that all of us have really is our right to refuse And for residents, it gets a little tricky um, because often their refusal is taken as a um, maybe as a behavior problem. You know, maybe it's interpreted uh, as as more than just they're refusing. Maybe they're difficult when really they have the right to refuse and to question whatever is going on in their world. So for me, that one is probably one of the toughest ones, just, you know, advocating for someone's ability to say no.
1: Well, and and maybe to go a little further and and find out the why behind the no would be a good practice, I think, for providers, Um, maybe for families to follow up, too, because I think it's important for people to have the capacity to understand the implication of the refusal,
2: right? Exactly, exactly. You know, like if a resident is refusing a medication or a treatment or, or something like that, you know, maybe a little more education is needed. Maybe they need to find out or be told what the repercussions are of not following this treatment plan or not taking this medication. And sometimes... You know, sometimes
1: I—I'm not. Well, sometimes I've known people that are not great rule followers. Okay, and so they just get tired of having so many rules to follow. It's time to eat. It's time to take a bath. It's time to go to bed. And sometimes they just want to have exercise a little control over their life.
2: That's exactly right. And I am a firm believer that one of the last abilities we lose is our ability to complain and and to have some kind of control over those basic things Mm -hmm. that go on in our everyday life. So, yeah. So,
1: again, because sometimes it comes down to the approach and how you're talking, whether you're a caregiver at home working with someone or whether you're a caregiver in a facility, you might get different outcomes depending on how you approach people. Um, Do you want to wear the white blouse or the pink blouse? Not, let's change, you know, it's it's just an approach, right? You you might get a different answer if you just say it's time to change clothes. They may not want to get undressed. I, I don't know. You're going to have to get to know your person, and uh, and work within your understanding of that person. So continuity of care probably is going to help. I know families get all exercised about um, the f- facilities allowing their person to refuse treatments or baths or meds or. Whatever. Because they think that's exactly what they're there for is so that they can get treatment. And why are you allowing them to refuse? Mm -hmm. So it it really is a big deal. it's, It's good that they have the right to refuse, but sometimes it's not in their best interest to refuse. So as professionals, we have to try to figure out how to remove those barriers, I guess is what I'm saying.
2: Right. That's exactly right. And uh, also for those professionals, you know, there's education that goes on both sides, you know, maybe a little education um, uh, for the family so that they understand, you know, you're not just taking the easy way out and saying, well, your mom said, no, she's not going to do this. So we're not going to do this. You know, maybe it's sitting the family down and letting them know, what it is that you're trying to do and why it is that you can't just force their loved one to do those, those things.
1: Well, a long time ago, I heard someone say, you know, when we're talking about ourselves, we value independence and rights. When we're talking about somebody we love, we value safety and we want them taken care of. But it's remembering there really is a balance between both of those. They're, they're both valid. Um, viewpoints, but they do have to balance each other out, and we can't just impose things on folks. Well, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Take Us McGinnis is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now.